Make an Impact podcast presented by the American Association of Suicidology. I'm Chris Cosentino, and today we're joined by the winner of the 2023 Paul G. Quinnett Lived Experience Writing Competition, Phoenix Wang. Welcome to the podcast, Phoenix. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So excited. So congratulations, and thank you so much for sharing your story. The question everyone is asking right now, what are you going to do with the $1,500 cash prize? <laughs> well, I'm I'm a student and also um, a single parent, so they'll probably go to groceries and Christmas presents. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. Now, before we jump into your submission and your story, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what do you do when you're not writing award-winning stories? Let's, let's hear it. Sure. Uh, so I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, actually, I just moved into Queens, so I guess I'm a real New Yorker now. And um, I'm a, a student uh, studying to get my master's in uh, social work. And um, I'm also working as a social work uh, as well um, with um, a program called Head Start. And they help children uh, who are underrepresented uh, get a head start in school. And so I do that. And I'm also um, a parent to my eight-year-old son. And um, that's that's about it. What I like to do is like to just be with friends and um, read books and write. That's essentially it. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, your story was so beautifully written. It's, it's, it's inspiring. It's, it's a little gut-wrenching at times. It's raw. And I'm reading this, like, this is a professional writer. I'm just curious to know, like, have you written stories in the past? Have you shared stories? No, it's, it's, although it's been my dream to become, uh, to write a, a memoir, you know, that's one of the dreams I have. But, um, for now, I've just been practicing writing. And, um, another dream I have is to have a one person show. And so I, I go out to various bars and, uh, stages and uh, do my open mic for five minutes and and give my little uh, uh rendition of a uh, funny thing that happened to me you know <laughs> that's excellent that's very cool very cool now where where did you hear about the writing competition and, and what really inspired you uh, to want to make an impact and, and and share your story well i don't know how i originally found out of it but i've always been um curious about AAS and um, their their um, their mission and I I just knew that there there needs to be um, some kind of voice for people who have these kinds of experience and this is the only place that I found that that voice for people and so I decided to just you know make my pitch into it and see what happens. It um, was very, it, like you said, it was very cathartic for me to to write it and to just get my, tell someone, anyone what I've experienced. And uh, it's, uh, although it could be sometimes hard to write, uh, it's more um, cathartic than anything else. It's, it's amazing. I, you know, I had the absolute um, honor um, in reading all 125 of the stories when they were submitted. And um, every single story 
powerful in a different way and inspirational in a different way. And um, the through line, I guess, that consistent message throughout was writing becoming a source of therapy for folks. And I was curious to know, like, for you individually, you know, specifically, what after you write your story and you submit it, what was that feeling like? What, you know, did you feel that, that oof, a weight has been lifted off your shoulders or I'm, I'm curious when you, when you pour your heart out and share something so personal, right. what, what goes through your mind after you share it? it? You know, living like, I feel like I have chronic suicide and living with this, um, I guess illness is, um, it's really hard. It's hard to, figure out what's real and what's not real and how to make sense out of what you're going through. And if it is, um, if there's any meaning or weight to what you're going through. And so what writing has done for me is made, is allowed me to like come up with this meaning and um, bring forth a sense of um, not only weight, but like just, a reality that couldn't be there before. Like for me, all of it was in my head. Writing it down, there was like an externalization of it and made me feel like, okay, this is something I can give distance to that has an objectiveness to it. And, um, and it's something beyond me. It's not just inside of me eating me up. Now in your story, you refer to suicide as a monster or the monster how when you give it a name do you feel it it helps in a sense of okay i'm fighting that monster i'm gonna slay that monster you know as i'm reading your story that that, that's how i took it i was like all right Mm -hmm. no i I love that idea where it's like okay if something's bothering you or if something's uh, you know in your head so to speak you know, let's name it and let's make it something because then it's like, all right, that's the monster again in my ear. That's the monster to trying to get me to do something I really don't want to do. And and you kind of, you, you it comes a character. And, yeah. and I, and I love that you did that. And I'm curious to know if that was your thinking in doing that or, or, I, um, you know, or I just make that up and I'm totally no, off. I mean, it, it sounds nice in the end, but to be honest, it really felt like a monster. It like really felt like something that was deep inside of me that just comes out and um, I'm unable to control and it becomes this other person. It's not me. It's the something else that I can't um, handle or, um, I can't um, grasp, but it's it's not just me, I guess. I guess it's a way to say, like, um, not giving myself all the blame for the torment that I'm going through. Now, you you didn't have a title on your story. Is, I know. Is, no, it's, it's, it obviously didn't hurt, you know, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I'm curious, you know, if you, if you were to, you know, look back and, and, and put a title on your story, um, you know, what, what would be a good title for this? Because like I said, I mean, you dive into, uh, every aspect of your life, you know, from marriage to, you know, being a single parent to 
um, religion. You know, it, it's it's in such an amazing story. And it, it might be one of those things that you touch on so many different topics. It's hard to just title it one certain thing. But right. I'm curious to know, like looking back, I mean, you know, if you were to, you know, have, you know, a title for your story, you know, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's, it's so hard. It's really hard to come <laughs> up with one. Um, I was never good with titles. Um, <laughs> I guess like one that sticks out is the monster in me, you no. know, or, um, beauty behind the struggle, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Something about struggle and yeah. how there's also like a truth behind struggle and, and the beauty behind it. Maybe that's something like that. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I, once I saw your name, I just, when, I, when you see the name Phoenix, <laughs> you, know, you think of, you know, rising from the ashes and, and yes. you know, it's, um, you know, I've always loved that, you know, name and, and that was the first thing I saw. I was like, oh, Phoenix. Yes, this is <laughs> awesome. You know, so, but um, yeah, you know, in your story, it's, it's your, in your untitled story, you write, uh, you know, you, you talk about self-harm. And I, I just want to touch on that for a moment because yes. you do you do write it as you know it, you know this this calm you know feeling you know washed over you as you wrote as you right. wrote it. Uh, how, how did you get over that? How did you know it was you know talk us through um, you know your your battle with self harm and 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 how you were able to overcome that. Right. So um, when I. First started self harming. I didn't know what function it was doing for me, um, but then I I um, was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and I subsequently had uh, dialectical dialectical behavior therapy treatment, which helped a lot in terms of building coping skills, so you don't have to self harm. And so I would have I literally have images of things happening to me. Um, and I would, I would have to defer them by like holding ice or, uh, doing pushups or walking, taking a walk around the block or calling a friend. Um, and I would just barrage myself with skill upon skill upon skill until the, the, um, the heightened sense or the, the urge had dissipated. The, it was great because it did work eventually but it was a slower slower um uh slower solution than self-harm so that was what was really tough is like how do you make sure you have enough willpower to sustain this other kind of coping skill that works eventually than using this uh self-harm as a solution to your pain and so um i I still do it. You know, I get coaching from my therapist about what to utilize when, when I'm, when I'm in distress and, um, and yeah, so that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You, you go through the list of, of, you know, how long this has been for you in three decades, nine hospitalizations, nine therapists, thousands of hours of therapy. And it's still, it's still there. That monster's still there, right? And yes. and I'm curious for you, and I know everyone's different. What right. what do you look for 
in a therapist when that, when you find that person that you can connect with um you know what is it that you're looking for i i've been thinking about it a lot and um and my therapist uh she would be the first to tell you that i quit her a couple of times because i, I guess it's been it's been a rough road but i always come back to her because she makes me feel safe first and foremost. And um, she could have all the different skills or of being a therapist, but the fact that she wholeheartedly believes in me, it's like she can look at me in the eye and believe in me. And for some reason that, that gives me the faith for me to go on and, and continue forward. It hasn't been easy, but I, uh, She's like my backbone. Now, you mentioned after a hospitalization that you started a support group in your basement. How, 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 how has that been? Are you still doing it? What, what inspired you to make an impact like that? So, so uh, when I was first diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I realized and I, that was the first time I, I was in the hospital. That was the first time I was in a group setting. And initially, I was so scared to be in a group setting. I had all these preconceived notions from movies and, and everything else and media of what would happen if I were in a group setting. Um, but I left and that group, came, like, it stayed with me. I had such a uh, deep respect for everyone there who was willing to open up their minds and their hearts to share their struggle and how they were committed to getting better. And I was just amazed. And so I was like, well, how can I find this outside? I couldn't find any BPD support group in New York city. And so I decided to make one up and it was actually in a community center in a basement that we met. Um, but it was maybe like nine to 15 of us who would sit around and share what we knew about BPD and what, what we were struggling with. And sometimes people were in pretty bad shape and I, you know, I was not a social worker back then. I didn't know what I was doing, but like we helped how we could help, you know, just kind of, um, did it as best we could. And uh, I did it, I think for four or five years and then. I always felt a little bit of an imposter, how like I didn't really know what I was doing and I thought I should get some more um, training and uh, certifications, things like that. So I, I, I let it go. Um, but I would definitely like to pick that up again one time. That'd be nice. As you're writing, it, it, you, you took us, I think this is why your story stood out so much for our judges. You took us on a journey. You started and, and, and we, you almost, you, you, the way you wrote it and, and illustrated it in everyone's head, everyone saw it so clearly because you were so clear in the way that you told your story. And it seemed like as you got older and went through the process, you started finding yourself more. <laughs> you were married to a man. Then you realized you were attracted to women. Right. Right. You, right. Uh, you know, you then you talked about religion and maybe the shame that might come with with everything that's going on with that. Right. 
was when you're writing this out and, and if I, you know, it was this captivating story where we're all just, Oh, what's going to happen next? You know, like what, what's she going to tell us next? You know? And, and it's like, we, you know, we wanted more, you know? Um, so I'm curious, you know, through your pro, I mean, do you feel like now that you you're starting to find yourself and, um, it's, is it almost like looking at through life in a whole new lens? Well, it's interesting. I, so I started having suicidal thoughts when I was age 15. And, um, that year I also read this book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. And there's a quote in there by Frederick Nietzsche who says, uh, he who has a why to live can bear with almost any how. And I, that was my mantra for my whole life just so I could understand why I was struggling and suffering so much. And so I come to this point now, and after a whole life of trying to find my meaning and my why, and um, I, I, I do kind of, I think I have kind of found my why. My why is my son, you know, he's, it means everything to me. And at the same time, like all of it, as I pursue my social work or whatever career I have in the future, like it just comes down to like your relationships and having good relationships with your son, with your friends, with your family, able being able to make conversation in a meaningful way for me and provide meaning in my, my experiences and giving life to them. So it's all, yes, I think it's, kind of come full circle but it doesn't mean that my suicidal thoughts will go away mm -hmm. i have to live it dis it the, despite those suicidal thoughts because they're going to keep on coming and i have to keep on pushing forward you shared a comment from a doctor saying that if you choose to kill yourself your son will uh, most likely die by suicide himself yes when you when you when you're told when you someone says that to you, what goes through your head? I was so angry and also so ashamed of myself. I was angry that someone would accuse me of wanting my son to die when my son means the world to me, and at the same time, actually believing that yes, the reality is if I kill myself they're going to live with this struggle, a harder struggle than probably what I have gone through. And I, I, I it's just so heart wrenching. I, I could not do it after that. And so I vowed to never again, try to kill myself, but it's, it's so hard. The illness is so strong inside me. It's hard to um, intellectually say, I'm not going to die and actually go through with it when your whole entire being is conspiring against you. If you were having a conversation with someone who's on the same path as you are, what would you suggest that first stop be or that first line of help would be? Well, if, if it was me who went to this person, I think I would have to be the first line in the sense of, I have to 
again, look at them in the eye and say, we're, we're going to get through this together. You know, we'll, 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 let's try to figure out something to help you around this. And then, um, I don't know, I have this, um, uh, troubled, uh, view of hospitalizations. I know for me they're necessary, but I also have a hard time going through them. And I know that for me, medications work, and I would like to see this person see if it, it would work for them. Um, and then finally, I would hope that they would have some a loved one, someone they can trust someone who they look up to and say, would you mind helping me along along this way for whether it be like three months or a year, or just to have a mentor of some type to help me get through it or a therapist, you know, I think, I think therapy is very important. I think it takes a whole system of people to get through to um, someone living with this kind of, uh, Debil debilitating uh, disorder or disease or illness. What was your experiences like? What was the experience like being hospitalized? You know, I think I think a, a lot of folks might feel intimidated by it. You know, or or yeah, yeah I don't want to. You know, but were they positive experiences that you had during your hospitalizations? When you left the hospital, did you feel you were in a better place? Was it inconsistent at times? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't think I maybe have had eight or nine hospitalizations altogether, and so they've been a little different each one. Um, initially, I was very scared. I had no awareness about what hospitalizations hospitalizations did and how they could help you, but. But initially, they were very accommodating. And I think, for the most part, the medication changes helped. And I think what's even more important than that is the time. The time that you spend in the hospital being safe, where you can think about other things besides killing yourself, is really a relief. And I think that um, Having that time to talk to other patients and having time to talk to your doctors and therapists has made uh, a big difference for me. The only issue that I have been going through lately uh, is because I'm transgender is the uh, gender, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, just confusion about my gender and how to address me, where to put me, where what people call me. And it's it's a little dehumanizing i say it's very just makes me distraught um but i know that despite that uh if i'm there it's because i'm safe there well phoenix i once again thank you so much um for for sharing your story you probably more than you can imagine um you are inspiring so many people with your story and words can't explain you're probably better with the words than than I am but uh your words can't explain the impact that you're having on so many people and i said it earlier in the episode here in our conversation 
I want more. We want more from Phoenix, you know? So it's, it's, you know, I love, I love to hear that you're, you're studying to become a social worker. You're going to be amazing at that. And once again, congratulations. Thank you so much. And keep making an impact out there, Phoenix, because it is, it is something truly special. Thank you so much, Kirsten. I'm very honored to be a part of this project. Thank you. Thank you.